In today's show, I'm joined by the wonderful Angela, who is a fellow student on my programme at Goldsmiths, but has also been undertaking some incredible research at the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford. Pitt Rivers is a world-renowned, research-led ethnographic museum in Oxford, and since 2017, the museum has made a commitment to being part of a process of redress, social healing, and the mending of historically difficult relationships through collaboration with stakeholders far and wide, including reconnecting objects with originating communities. As part of the decolonisation process, during the summer of June 2020, when the museum doors were closed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, museum curators removed 120 objects from the display cases. What followed was a research project examining the series of responses far and wide of individuals responding to this change. So I'm delighted to be joined today with Angela who will share the research insights. But first of all, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. So thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on today's show. Before we discuss decolonisation debates and the incredible research that you have been carrying out, for our listeners at home, I'd like to first turn to geography. And I guess as well, sort of, I quite like asking people who aren't geographers on a geography podcast, um, sort of the confusion it brings. Um, And I guess maybe before I say why I'm interested in looking at it, um, what does geography mean to you? Uh, (laughs) That's an interesting question. So I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I'm not a geographer at all. I gave up geography as quickly as I possibly could at school um, in favour of subjects like history that I was really, really interested in. And to me, geography is about um, maps and topography. And, uh, you know, I know it's broader than that. And it's about place and it's about all sorts of other things. Uh, It wasn't about place when I was doing geography. It was about maps and where people are and GDP and stuff like that. So um, I didn't feel it had any relevance to me, certainly the way it was taught. Um, And uh, I'm really ashamed to say that I, I... I have very, I, I have no great interest in it, or didn't have. For those who do know Angela, she most certainly is worthy of the title geographer because you understand complex processes and people, and try to look as far as possible beyond one's own worldview. And I think that is far more sort of reflective of what it means to be a geographer than sadly anyone has really been taught sort of at school, um, at secondary level, it was very much maps and volcanoes. But um, one of the things that sort of now is changing, which is really good, during the week I went to a teach meet by the um, Royal Geographical Society and it's sort of a panel event where geography teachers talk about sort of insights and how they're sort of changing the curriculum, I guess. And best practice and one of the things that um, a uh, trainee teacher um, gave a presentation about was challenging the single view of the world and looking at um, in geography you know we, we look at international development but we don't actually look at international development it's the same tropes of Africa is a poor continent or at worst people think Africa is a poor country And one of the things that they did is when they started their placement school was look at the scheme of work and they went through 
the language used in materials and said what language is being used that perpetuates the sort of Eurocentric view of the world so it wasn't just about you know we're not talking just about representation but actually looking through the materials that we're giving a child and saying if I gave this to a child what view is that reproducing so they sort of deconstructed their school's current scheme of work they changed the case studies to be used and they did something that sounds quite simple but it really doesn't happen that much which is use videos and podcasts from people of different countries to tell their own stories hearing real stories from real people that don't look and sound like you um, so that was one of the things and then they also said you know we need to look at um, the images we're using in our powerpoints and ones in textbooks highlighting that it's outdated but also getting children to bring in like their own photos and you know and they had like a discussion over what sort of topics that they would be interested in looking at that challenged this sort of view um, so I guess for me challenging the sort of single narrative that universalizing narrative I think speaks so much to what museums and cultural institutions are doing and I think that's probably the starting point that I think um, you could provide so much insight on how we do challenge this sort of Eurocentric view of the world. Yeah that that little insight there makes me so happy because what you don't know about me is that um, I was a teacher for many many years um, and taught in primary school and you're quite right you are the materials are very limited and your opportunities to challenge what you're presenting to children um, is limited and so you know you get a textbook the pictures are already there and it feels a bit like a lone battle but you know if it's coming from um, a group of teachers or if it's coming from the people who are writing the books um, you've got more hope really of being able to present to children a pluriverse um, and allow them to explore it and they will you know they're much more malleable than than adults are they don't come into the world thinking that you know there is just this one way we put that on them so uh, you know it's definitely the right place to start in schools um, challenging what what they see in terms of the work that I was doing at the Pitt Rivers Museum which if you have never been is the most amazing ethnographic museum. Um, I used to live near Oxford so, so I knew the museum quite well before uh, this opportunity came up, couldn't believe my eyes. And um, yeah, the, the research that I was doing, um, if I can talk about that for a little bit, in relation to some work that the Pitt Rivers Museum had carried out in the summer of 2020, but it was the result of um, an ethical review that started in 2017, um, looking at all of the objects that they, they have in the museum and doing this sort of the same thing that you're talking about. What view is this presenting of this group of people? And would they want that view of themselves presented in the museum? Um, so during the summer, they had the time and the space to be able to remove um, 120 artifacts from display. Of those 120 artifacts, there is probably only one that people can name. And that is the Sansa, the shrunken 
heads, or you know, they're commonly known as the, the shrunken heads. Um, I bet I challenge almost anybody who's listening to tell me one of the other 120, uh, you know, 119 things that were removed. But that was the thing that caused um, quite a lot of interest, to put it mildly, on social media and in letters that were written um, to directly to the director of the Pitt Rivers Museum and other um, curators. And so I was tasked with the job of sort of finding out what people were saying about it, which sounds like a simple thing, but actually is a, is a pretty, a pretty complicated thing it turned out because I was looking at uh, 56 or so letters or more. I was looking at thousands of words and comments that people had said on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and I just want to, there was a little bit that I wrote that didn't go into the final report, but would you mind if I just read that little bit yeah, about where the, where this report sits really? Yeah. So uh, 2020 was a disruptor year, accelerating changes in our relationship to online spaces and highlighting pre-existing global inequalities. By the 22nd of December, the World Health Organization's weekly epidemiological update reported 1.6 million deaths globally from the COVID-19 pandemic. One black man in America died as a police officer knelt on his neck. Another was fined for removing an African artifact from a Paris museum in protest at France's colonial era of looting of art. A statue of a slaver who transported an estimated 84,000 slaves from West Africa to the Americas was toppled. A white man was noisily vo voted out of office in America and replaced with another. And the UK quietly left the EU after 47 years of membership in order to take back control of its borders. Early in 2021, new laws came into effect to protect historic monuments and statues so that the past could not be edited or censored or our heritage lost. Into that came this act at the Pitt Rivers Museum where they were removing amongst the 120 the shrunken head. So give us a sense of what that response looked like after Pitt Rivers decided to remove 120 objects. Was it overwhelmingly negative? As I started to look through all of this stuff, it became very clear that it was a very polarised debate. And I started to pick out some of the some of the words and some of the sentiment really around it. Normally, you would do this thing with a uh, this sort of analysis with a sentiment analysis tool um, that would be able to extract all this information. But because so this this was done in June last year, I believe um, I actually started working on it in January this year. So social media moves so quickly. That's kind of historical data now. And you can't yeah. that there isn't a tool that allows you to go back and analyze it. So it was all had to be done manually, uh, which was kind of interesting, but kind of um, it was very, very time consuming. But yeah. it allowed you to see the context when you when you get a tool to do it, um, you'll get some results, obviously, but it can't tell you what came before and after the, the word that that is problematic, because yeah. sometimes a word that sounds problematic isn't at all. It depends on the context. Anyway, um, so I can tell you that the majority of the written responses on Facebook and Twitter um, and in written correspondence were negative and 
I started to look at the sorts of words that people were using. Um, what weight were they given? given? And um, I ended up collating all this information and producing word clouds and all sorts of things so that we could really see what it was people were saying. So the following words were mentioned over eight times across all social media and correspondence. So yielding, bowing, pandering, PC, obviously colonialism, woke, denying, erasing, airbrushing history, censorship, hiding, and demands for us, well, for the Pitt Rivers Museum to reinstate reinstate the censor and to learn from history. So that those speak to uh, entitlement, really. Um, we, want, we want that reinstated. We have a right to view the human remains of others. I'll let that sit there for a while. <laughs> Naturally, as an in cultural institution, they are thinking, well, everyone thinks this is a terrible idea. One of the really interesting things that came out of this, this research was that as I was looking at it, I thought there can't be, this can't be all there is, you know, in that it's either this or it's this. So I started to look at something else and I started to look at reactions. So those are the sort of emoji reactions that you have on Facebook where you, you know, you like, love, whatever, yeah. smiley face. Um, so I was an analyzing then, then that. Um, and I got the reverse pattern. Wow. So by looking at those reactions, which I describe as the quiet voices, because yeah. what we see are the really noisy, polarized voices. And that makes an awful lot of, you know, it makes the headlines, it's, you know, it's, it's the stuff, the clickbait that people yeah. love. But if you actually ask the question, what are people saying? How do they feel about this? It's about more than just the one or two people. And it was just one or two people mm -hmm. because I did a very complicated set of social mm -hmm. network analysis, um, which in which you draw the between the nodes, you know, how many times people talk to other people. And it was just, there was one person who was in the center of every single conversation that went on. And a very small number of people, I would say, uh, no more than about four people. Uh, this, these are sort of negative posters in the centre. There were people who were, uh, you know, there was a very healthy riposte from the other side. Um, but, uh, you know, as I say, a very small number of people in the centre of it. But they're just, they're just the, they're just the noise. So what yeah. else was happening? And it was these quiet people who were, who were liking it. They loved the post. And uh, if you took that as a measure you know, 92% of those over the period that I was looking at were positive. Mm. So what, what is that telling us about what people are saying about this? Social media can be a difficult place to be. Mm. And um, I really applaud those people who went onto social media and presented the other view uh, not a personal view but just presented the other view and pointed people back to um the work that was actually being done rather than the headline yeah you know if, if you get a headline that says shrunken heads removed yeah. and people were reacting clearly they were reacting to the headline because the article itself gave a lot more depth but they hadn't gone any further than the headline exactly the most interesting element which i guess sort of just touching on now but why is it that one object and not the 119? I think that is the message that is 
the sort of how we understand and how we ascribe value to objects and the whole you know why we collect things in the first place so what is it about those 119 that we don't feel or some people didn't feel the outrage um i think that's so interesting because that is essentially the where the real work begins i guess for museums you know so that, that that's a really <laughs> really knotty problem so the object that that do do you know what they look like the shrunken heads if you got any? um i think so i think they, that was part of the you know when we had errol francis yes. who, who wow that was the most amazing lecture really really was um and of course he has a connection with the pit rivers as well yeah. so it was just this i don't know it's been a really interesting few months yeah. um so why why the outrage about the shrunken head I, um so obviously they depict a particular view don't they of the shua um and it's uh there's there's a there's a a professor called Wayne Modest um, and I went to one of his webinars um, and he described this viewing as feel-good colonialism looking at stuff that's been collected all over the world from all over the world and look how um, interesting it is and how amazing our collectors were and how we ruled the world you know all of those um, for me all of those uncomfortable um, opinions about what colonialism was really about when people view those things we don't actually know what's going on in their heads I'd really love to but mm. we don't know but people wrote in and said we do not view this as racist we don't you know how how dare you suggest that we that we are racist for wanting right. to view these things but I'm just wondering what happens when you look at something um a shrunken head and the label um and that's a, another project that's going on at Pitt Rivers yeah. Museum called Labelling Matters, which is the most fantastic piece of work that will go on and on and on, I suggest. But um, the label tells you very little about the context and allows you as the viewer to believe somehow you're superior to this other in the case. Except when I went to look at it, I felt something quite different. I felt I felt a sense of sort of embarrassment, um, a, a sort of shock, disbelief that this was an actual, the, this was human skin, human skin behind in, in a display. And so I'm really not sure how you can look at that and concepts of, of race, of white supremacy, of cannot enter your head. I'm not sure how you can divorce those those things. So whether you're conscious of it or not, something like that is probably going on through your, you know, going on in your mind because it that's the dominant that is the dominant ideology. Pitt Rivers is, you know, they've been working on this for years, this sort of labeling and, you know, they're not doing it because it's a fad. They're doing it because, you know, they're research driven and this is what the research is sort of looking at. I think that's another another point to make really clearly um, what came out of, of the letters and, and the stuff that I was looking at was people seemed to think that this was a kind of you know, a kind of knee jerk reaction mm. to what was happening in this in the summer. And unfortunately, 
there's an unwillingness to to look any further than what's right in front of you and to react immediately to that something's been removed and i would like the right to view it and i'm going to respond to that and not really think about how did this come to be you know that 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 requires a degree of of reflective thinking um that actually to be totally fair that most of us don't have the time to do you know you and i and other people on this course are in the most privileged position um of being able to think about culture and to think about how we've got where we are and to think about the future that requires time yeah i have to believe that people are not inherently bad or inherently racist or anything it is just that this is the it's the easiest way to respond to that it's the you know something has been removed i would like to see it but i want to make it really clear that this is for for pit rivers museum this is part of a very long process and a process that is continuing um it didn't just happen in the summer it, it mm. happened in the summer of 2020 but that was because perhaps they had time to it, it, I think it's it, from a cu curatorial point of view, it's a delicate process, which, you know, the museum was closed, that would be a very good time to to think about doing that. Yeah, during that process, I wonder what, what was it like um, reading all of the comments? I, because, you know, we, we now know that spending quite some time online is not good for the mental health. I imagine that would not have been a task I don't mm. think I would have enjoyed. Thank you for asking that. That was a yeah. really, um, there was a point where I was mired in this stuff. And uh, what, you, what you get, certainly in the written responses, what you get are the extremes. Because in a written response, this is a deliberate act, isn't it? Um, I'm not saying that a comment on, on social media isn't a deliberate act, but it's, it's there and it's gone, I suppose. When you're writing something and it's for a private audience, you have addressed it to the director of the Pitt Rivers Museum or one of its curators, and you have put pen to paper. There is something so crafted about that, that it's very different from, from a social media response. So first of all, the majority of those responses were from men. And this is not, you know, it just is. That, that is what happened. The majority of those responses where people felt so enraged that they needed to put pen to paper were from men. And 93% uh, of them were negative of those on paper. The most extreme of the language in terms of um, racist language, if ever you needed backup to understand whether what people were looking at when they see the Sansa, you know, what's going on in their head. If you looked at what the way that people responded and the racist language that was used in the most extreme of them, which I will not repeat here, there were times where I just thought, I don't, I don't, what, this is another assault, if you like, going through it and reading it and being, and, and having to categorize this because that's what I ended up doing, this enormous spreadsheet in which I had to sort of try and work out, you know, is it a, clearly, is it a positive or a negative? And then what I described as trigger words, yeah. um, words designed to make you feel something. And um, that, that collection of words that I just, I spoke about at the beginning were part of those trigger words that appeared again and again and again in lots of people's correspondence. Well, through all of this, if you're doing any sort of research, you're trying to remain neutral. 
but of course it's deeply personal the sorts of things that, mm -hmm. that people were saying it was difficult from that point of view but also necessary you you I heard a really interesting thing yesterday um there's a series that Pitt Rivers Museum are doing at the moment and um it is about taking care of the planet I'll talk about that at the end you might know about it and yesterday um Supadra Das um who is the most amazing speaker and she said I think about problems as cows and you need to look a cow in the face right <laughs> so it was work that needed to be done and um in the end I thought this is really really important it's really important to understand what people are saying and why and then I mean the why is very difficult but the what was what I was looking at um, which is why I started when I was looking online, some of those same words came up again, but which is why I started to look at what else were people saying. Mm. And it was these quiet voices. They were saying something, but we can't hear them because yeah. there's so much, so much negative stuff that gets all the all the attention. Humans have this like amazing ability to be empathetic and sympathetic and to actually work through that when it is a personal attack what feels like a sea of negativity and yeah and I, and I think it would be easy it would have been easy to say yeah people are saying really horrible things and leave it there but I felt there was more because I, I think really deep down inside of me as I've said more than once I do not believe that people are inherently terrible or racist or any of the, you know, sexist, or, you know, I just don't. Um, and so I was looking to find it, I suppose. Yeah. And it was there. I think that sounds like a really, you know, wonderful project to have been involved with. And um, I'm glad we got to hear what sort of the Pitt Withers um, Museum's up to. And then I guess in terms of decolonising in wider um, museums and cultural institutions... Um, I guess maybe for you in the sort of wider context, how should we be understanding the word decolonizing or decolonization? I mean, it has itself obviously become incredibly political as a word. And I think perhaps we have to start by understanding what, what colonization meant. What mm. was it actually about? And, um, I, you know, I'm on my own journey with this. I've done a lot of reading, a lot of thinking about it, a lot of trying to understand and trying to unpick it. And, and also just this, this concept that colonization um, happened in the past, we can put it in a box and we can say that it's, it's not happening now. Um, so why are we talking about decolonization? Because that's something that happened, um, you know, 1870 five, six, something or the other, why are we still going on about it? Um, but of course, it isn't. And its effects are, are there to this day. Um, economically, there are still, I don't know how many different protectorates, still British protectorates, the British Virgin Islands, Anguilla, you know, I think there are 15 or so of them still. So it's not in the past, is it? It's, it's part of the present and continuing. So um, when I think about decolonization and in the museum space, they, they talk about sort of um, redress and repatriation 
uh, and those sorts of um, considerations. And that that definitely is part of it. I but I think going back to your school children, I think there is it's important to understand where it began and its continuing effects on the world now before you can start thinking about how you how you address that you know you probably will never be able to address it entirely but because it's all about systems of power that the difficulty with systems of power is those that have it love it and they know they have it and it's you know it's intoxicating you don't have to look very far to see how intoxicating power is and to give that up in terms of or even to just step, even to make room. We're not talking about handing it over. We're just saying, you know, just give a bit, you know, just just make room. Um, and this is not just in relation to, obviously, to, to decolonizing. Mm. It's in relation to any sort of, um, you know, sexism, racism, um, disability, you know, anything, sexuality, anything that involves giving up power becomes contentious in what I'm you know I would call the sort of Brexit generic continuum of polarization and power I think it's people struggle to accept that there are there are other ways of being other ways of knowing uh, that we are a pluriverse really and that in order for it to be wonderful for everybody the very tiny percentage of people who have all the power have got to give some of it up. If we can get to a stage where cultural institutions are acknowledging power and then, you know, in a sense, then it's just, you know, what settings and what processes we choose to work through. So I guess in terms of like climate change, um, you mentioned Pitt Rivers uh, sort of working on a new project with that, which I, again, think is amazing. Utterly amazing. And um, I know that you often mention in your podcast a book that people would recommend. I mean, I've got a a mountain of them here. But um, I would actually recommend listening to this webinar. And it's called Matters of Care, Museum Futures in Times of Planetary Precarity. So if that, for geographers, if that doesn't do it for you... There's no pleasing us. Um, And the opening session is uh, Professor Wayne Modest, who I've already mentioned, um, who is the Director of Content and National Museum of World Cultures Rotterdam, as long as a whole list of other things. Dr. Claudia August, I hope that's right, uh, Head of the Project Taking Care. It's an EU-funded project. And... um, Dr. Lara van Broekhoven, who's the director at Pitt Rivers Museum. So um, if you are interested in these issues of um, our environment, of taking care of our planet, and how that might be related to colonialism, then I would suggest listening to that webinar series, and particularly the first one. Because, I mean, he talks about climate precarity, and that systems of colonization which have left parts of the world devastated by the greed of a few um, and its effects now so much later and the effects on the environment which we now know as you know the climate emergency just other systems of colonialism just other systems of power who has the right to decide they're going to use the earth's resources the research is being done 
Um, and we possibly have to thank the Black Lives Matter movement for that. The whole change way, the pandemic um, has had us all looking in the same direction for a change. Yes. We're not looking, we're so you know busy living our lives, doing whatever we're doing, watching stuff on Netflix. Blah, blah. We are doing all of that, the Netflix stuff. But mm-hmm. at the same time, when the Black Lives Matter movement happened, um, everybody, again, we come back to this time issue. Everybody had the time to look at it, think about it, you know, if they wanted to. Yeah, I have to be, I have to be positive that this stuff, these books are there. The information is there. It's being threaded together. Our histories are being threaded together so that we can access them. And I, and I have to be hopeful that the, the, the generations of people coming up who people are looking at the curriculum and they're looking at what is being presented to children and giving them more than one worldview. Well, thank you so much, Angela. I really appreciate your time today. And I would like to give a special thank you to the Pitt Rivers Museum for agreeing to share your research with us as you strive to make a more equitable world that readdresses systems of power, recognising that we do live in a pluriverse and to challenge our own worldviews to make space for others. Thank you for listening to Undoing Geography. Resources and the link to the webinar can be found in the show notes. (laughs) 